0: This is this, this, this,
1: this, Fight Disciples.
0: We are gathered here today for the Fight Disciples UFC and Boxing Talk.
1: You're listening to the Fight Disciples episode 86, our UFC special. You're joining me, your host Nick Pete. And I will be joined very shortly on the phone by the one and only former UFC welterweight world title challenger and one half of the EMEA commentary team, Mr. Dan Hardy, to review UFC London. Adam is away this week. He's still over in Spain, sonning himself for his father's birthday. But here's a little bit of what you've got coming up.
0: People love the NFL over here, but we don't get people complaining because we've not got the Super Bowl champions coming over to play at Wembley. Let's put it this way. I think Jimmy Manuel knocks out David Hay. He looks at Michael Bisping and thinks to himself, this is a guy I can definitely beat. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast.
1: So before we recap UFC London, Dan, tell me the big news. Obviously, you're up uh, my neck of the woods shortly as well for the for the big book launch, part. Reptile. How, how did the book come about in the first place? Um...
0: Well, Headline Publishing uh, spoke to me, actually. The, the editor, Richard Roper, came to me and uh, heard a couple of my podcasts and was interested in speaking to me about possibly putting something together. Um, and it was something I've thought about a few times before. I've got a few books I've been working on, but something autobiographical made sense that seemed a little intimidating, to be honest. <laughs> and uh, you know, They approached me about it. They offered me uh, some assistance with it. And pretty much it just kind of, it just kind of, Went from there. I mean, it, it's, it's been quite a quick thing. We uh, we started in April of last year, and uh, and the deadline was, was the end of December. So we've, we, we've we've rattled through it pretty quick. But it's been it's been a difficult process, but a lot of fun.
1: It's a, uh, obviously you know I've got myself a complimentary copy from the publishers, which you gleefully signed to me last week. Thank you very much, <laughs> sir. But I, I've tore through it already because you've 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 got so much in there. It's definitely one of the you know, the, the MMA books out in the market that people should look out for. No disrespect to Paige Van Zandt. I'm sure her biography will be brilliant. But, you know, she's been aw- been alive like five minutes. I think I've got underwear older than Paige Van Zandt. So <laughs> at least you have took an actual journey right through, you know, on your path. But the, the book kind of, you know, you've left the door open there as well before we, before we jump back to commentary duties and what you're up to right now. But, you know, is the door fully closed on your career? Are we going to see you come back for this one last fight?
0: No, I, th- I, think there's a, I think there's one or two in my future. Um, I've done the testing now, so I've got the clearance, and I now I need to speak to USADA and do all the, the, the drug testing. I've got to get into the testing pool, which I think, because I've never retired, is four months. Yeah. So that's the next stage. And then after that, it's, it's it's about looking at opponents, and dates, and trying to figure out something that suits.
1: Wow. Do you think it could be this year, Dan, or...?
0: If it is, it's going to be November, December. It will yeah. be the later part of the year. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm definitely open to it, but it, it, it all depends really on my schedule for commentary and work and stuff. Because I need to, I need to be able to fit a, a decent training camp in, um, oh. and you know, make sure I'm ready, prepared for it. So I'm, I'm in no no major rush, but you know, now the wheels have started turning. It's uh, it's starting to gather speed without my. Uh, without my pushing,
1: to be honest. Yeah, super exciting. Do you, Will that camp be in the US? Will you do it in Nottingham, an old school style camp with, with Jimmy and everybody else? Or will you go over and work with the likes of Ricky Lundell and people that you've kind of focused on towards the, you know, what was the later end of your career? Uh,
0: I think a bit of both. Um, I, I do want to stay in, in the UK and work with my teammates here and, you know, get that old roughhouse vibe going again. Yeah, yeah. Um, but there, there are a lot of gyms I'd like to travel around to and, just kind of check out. You know, I've been invited by some of the best coaches in the world to, to some of their gyms. So um, I, I want to take them up on, on their offers and, and, you know, travel around and get my ass kicked for a little while. And,
1: Brilliant. you know, remind myself
0: of what it's like to be, to be in training camp, to be under pressure. Um, but, yeah, I, I think ultimately I'd like to close my camp in Vegas with my old, uh, my old guys, um, Ricky Lundell and Jimmy Gifford around mm-hmm. me. That'd That would be ideal for me.
1: And surely that's a that's a UFC on the fly waiting to happen, isn't it? That's a that's a TV show. That's a series.
0: Well, maybe, maybe you know. There's a. Uh, I think what would be interesting is you know, obviously because I've been working as an analyst as well, I can. I'm looking forward to analysing my fight. That's that's possibly as exciting as actually fighting. Uh, you know, actually getting in there and fighting would be to pull it apart and analyse it because I can't think of anyone that's done that before. No, has been you know given a real in depth analysis of their fight and how they see it going. From a from a very objective perspective, which would be a good challenge for me.
1: Yeah, most um, definitely.
0: So yeah, I don't know. I mean, you know, there seems to be a lot a lot of interest around around it and around me fighting again. And if I can uh, if I can give some some coverage to the fans to kind of give them an insight into that journey, then I, I definitely will.
1: And and you know, I've, I've heard suggestions it'll be down at lightweight as well.
0: I think so. Yeah, I think so. I'm a lot wow. lighter than I was when I was competing at welterweight, um, and I think that. I mean, ideally, I'd have a, I'd have a weight class in between. I'd, I'd go for the one sixty one weight class because I think it's only a matter of time before we get it.
1: Hundred um, percent, yeah.
0: But yeah, I mean, I'm I'm happy to, to go down to lightweight. And I think there's, you know, I think there are some, some some better matchups for me at lightweight. Some some more fun matchups for me. You know, there's a lot of real explosive and enthusiastic fighters there. And although the welterweight division is really exciting as well, lightweight is really where it's at for me at the moment.
1: Let's let's be honest, Dan. This and this is your opportunity to do it. You're going to call out Connor, aren't you? You want the Connor fight? <laughs> <laughs> with the amount of
0: money, with the amount of money that you could make fighting Conor McGregor, I think anybody would take that fight, <laughs> whether you fought fought before or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, just a bit, just a bit. Brilliant. Well, let's listen. We we wait with bated breath for that big announcement, Dan. And uh, I can't wait. Wherever that fight is on the planet, I am 100 percent going to be cage side for that one.
0: Thank
1: you, mate. I appreciate that. the uh, let, Let's get back to let's get back to the now and then, and uh, what's happening or what's just happened within the it's still in the fallout and the aftermath of. Funny, isn't it? You know, this year we've had two big pay per view events so far with the UFC, and you know, in, in ways they failed to kind of just live up to it. The first event wasn't the greatest fight card, and then the second event, the main event, you know, the co main event fell off the forty eight hours before. Then the, the main event itself, the welterweight title fight, didn't really. Live up to expectation. Then we do a fight night card in Brazil, which is outstanding, and we do a fight night card in London, which, even though it was affected by a couple of late pullouts, was an outstanding card. Then I loved every minute of it.
0: it. It was, you know, I think we were, I think a part of it as well is the fact that you know some of the fans were saying that they weren't happy with the card and that they wanted more from it. And I mean, you know, as a fighter on the card, I would be annoyed about that. I'd be annoyed because I've put in so much work and time and effort. And, you know, you get to the UFC, you expect to, to be appreciated and respected by the fans and then, you know, they're not happy. So I, I would have something to prove as well. And I think a lot of the fighters on the night fought like they they had, they had something to prove. They, they had, uh, you know, a bit of a chip on their shoulder and, uh, you know, they wanted to show the fans that they were the ones
1: to watch. Is this because you think the fans, you know, do they want to? What do they want? Do they want to see Lio Machida you know, a washed-up version of Lio Machida against some young guy, or do they want to see? You know, I don't. I struggle to get my head around it sometimes because you look at this card, you know, and I was to, I was talking about it when we, you know, prior to the event on last Saturday, the prelim card especially, all them fights on the prelim card, pretty much all them fights on the prelim card. If you lose that fight, there's a chance the UFC are going to cut you. So the, the the matchups were so fiercely contested because I think all them fighters, certainly on the prelims, as I say, went in there thinking I've got to win here and I've got to win well because the UFC are cutting people with win winning, winning records right now. I don't know if I understand what the fans are complaining about. We had some incredible matchups; they were really good matches, fifty fifty fights most of them, and, uh, and as I say, the guys went in there with with everything at stake. Yeah, I I don't
0: really get it either. I mean, I, I get it, you know the the, the, you know the pay-per-view fans, uh, I like to call them, are the ones that they want to see the names they recognise. But these are the names that have established themselves over years of fighting on undercards. Yep. And what they don't seem to get is that the guys that we're watching now on the undercards are the ones that are going to be the main events and the, and the champions in the future. I mean, if you just look down some of the performances, you know, guys like obviously Mark Casey and Arnold Allen are the two that really stand out. You've got to think to yourself: Well, these are the future of the sport. You know, if if you if you're catching them now when they're fighting, you're really lucky because at at some point in the future, you might not be able to get to one of those pay-per-view events. We we might not see them on British soil soon because they're so popular. And you know, we need to get them over to North America because ultimately, we can't forget that this is a North American sport. You know, as much as we we see mixed martial arts as an international community, that the sport is driven by by the UFC, which is a North American company, and the majority of the pay-per-view. Um, demographic is in the US as well, so that, that's you know that that's the, that's the dynamic of the sport whether we like it or not. I mean, people mm-hmm. love the NFL over here, but we don't we don't get people complaining because we've not got the Super Bowl champions coming over to play at Wembley. Yeah, Do you know what I mean? Exactly. It's like you know, like you we have Jimmy Manu who's the ranked number fourth in the world main event fighting fighting a guy ranked number six? Like c- clearly, Jimmy Manu is is within one fight of a title shot. If not, you know, John Jones, which I think is bigger than a title in my opinion. Mm-hmm.
1: Exactly. You know, it's crazy. You know, I feel like sometimes, and this always happens as well. This is the crazy thing you think UFC fans or, you know, as there's a nice point there, pay-per-view UFC fans would have learned by now. And this is why these cards sell out before before the card is confirmed because real fans, real fans that pay tickets and put bums on seats and attend every UFC event they can possibly attend, they're the reason why these cards sell out before the card's even been announced because they know... Okay, it may not have pay-per-view attraction on it, but they know that every fight's going to be an absolute belter from the first to the main event, and that's exactly what we got in London.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. I remember back at UFC 95 when I was moved up to the co-main event, which honestly surprised me as, as, as much as it did most of the fans, to be honest. But I remember people complaining. They, they wanted somebody else. They wanted a big name in the, in the co-main event position. And, you know, I, I get it. But most of those people would, would, you know, shoot the bloke next to them to come and watch my fight again. So, yeah. you know what I mean? It's like, it's, it's a very skewed perspective. And you've got to respect the hardcore fans that will buy a ticket, you know, without knowing who's on the card. And that's, a, you know, that's the strength of the UFC brand because, you know, ultimately the fans know that if the, if, if the fighters are on the UFC roster, they're world-class, you know, yeah. or, or at least they're, they're, they're projected to be world-class. And that's, you know... We need to be jumping on these bandwagons and joining this journey early on so we don't miss anything. I yeah. mean, Conor McGregor was an undercard fighter
1: at one point. Exactly. You know, who were the people who paid and, and seen him in Sweden or, you know, in his in his first fight? Who are the people then that said, oh, what's this Irish guy doing on the card Make this pro debut? I'm not interested in this guy. They're the same guys now. I've got that same ticket framed in their house saying, that was the night I seen Conor McGregor.
0: Exactly.
1: Crazy. Exactly. Anyway, let's pick before we jump into the card. And there's, there was so many highlights I want to I review with you and have a chat about. First of all, let's just let's just do a little bit of uh, uh, you know a bit of an update on on where we were. Unfortunately, two fights fell off right before the event. Ian Entwistle, Um he made weight on the nine am the morning before the fight, but obviously he, he was unable to pass a, a doctor's medical. We're subsequently hearing that he's now retired from the sport. Real shame for him to to kind of close the chapter on his career in this way.
0: Yeah, I think so. You know, I spoke to him on Wednesday night after I got when I got to the fighters hotel, and you know, he seemed he seemed like he got the opportunity that he wanted. He's always wanted to be number one in the UK, and he looks at Brett Johns, well, he's ranked number one at the moment uh, across UK rankings. So, M. Whistle was looking at him like his opportunity to get to that, you know, get to that next level that he that he was aiming for. Um, now, I mean, one thing that's not that's not really been discussed, and we didn't bring it up on the broadcast either, was you know the fighters sitting outside the hotel on Friday night. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously not ideal, um, but every single fighter on the card was in the same circumstance. So yeah. It's you know, you, you, we can't, uh, you know we can't you um, know we can't we can't use that as an excuse, but this this certainly is something to be considered. I mean, it was cold out there, and there were a lot of guys sitting around in shorts and stuff. So, I mean, we don't know the details of it, but I think Ian knows that. After what happened uh, in his last fight, and then obviously with this one as well, I I, I think uh, I think retirement is probably the only option other than stepping onto a different show because the UFC, uh, you know, obviously as you said, you know, the Mecky roster cuts left, right, and center, and if you don't show up and fight, you can't be relied upon. So the UFC just won't keep you around.
1: Completely Uh, similar situation, but you know, hopefully there's much more for him much for him for him in the future. But Tom Brees, the, Tom Brees was a really worrying one because obviously you, you, yourself and John announced on the broadcast just before the first fight that the doctor had not passed Tom Brees, Tom Brees to fight. Uh, and, and on the night, on, on Saturday night, there was very little information that came out of the UFC media office. Tom was, you know, I tried Tom's mobile. His mobile wasn't answering. There was a little bit of concern what was going on. And then subsequently we've heard now there was a statement put out by Graham Boylan, uh, Tom's manager, and, and this is what worried me. He said, in the statement, he said, Tom's heart rate was very high, and the pre event build up raised it to levels which he, uh, which left him, sorry, questioning if he was ready to compete tonight. Now, that did concern me because that sounds like it was Tom that pulled himself out of the fight rather than the doctor. Do you know any more, Dan, or have or, or you heard anything? Uh,
0: I haven't heard anything else. Um, all I saw was what, what was going on backstage. There were a lot of conversations, um, you know. Uh, Tom had his team around him. He was chatting to some of the USDA executives as well. I know he spoke to a couple of the fighters that were on the card. Um, I don't know exactly what happened, um, and I, I was disappointed to see Tom pulled off the card because, honestly, of all the fighters on the card, he was one of that one that I am I am most excited about watching him yeah. develop because, I mean, really, he's not going to take long before he's the top ten middleweight in the world. You know, mm-hmm. he's got the he's got the build, he's got the skills, um, he's certainly got the the student mindset. To, to continue to learn throughout his career, um, so I don't really know what happened. I mean, I, I yeah, concerning
1: right. if he's if he's concerned with his own heart rate, the same other high heart rate, and it just got too high from the sound thing towards the fight. That's is that a mental thing? Is it?
0: I, I don't know. I mean, it could be. It could be. We know we've got to bear in mind he has taken some time out, mm-hmm. um, and you know he, he took some time out after that after the loss to Sean Strickland. Was it?
1: That's right. You know, yeah. It
0: was it was the it was first loss of his career, and I think that you know things have been rolling on fairly steadily at that you know up to that point, and I think he may have been a little delusioned by that that uh, fight because it wasn't what he expected. Sean Strickland can be a real spoiler, as technical yeah. as he is, he can he can have some fights that can be you know real spoilers, um, and then obviously Bambos is a, an unpredictable fighter. He hits very hard, um, and you know, Tom coming back after a layoff and fighting in London, and th- there was always. It, it, it always concerns me when you've got a young kid like Tom who's got a lot of potential and people recognize that potential early because that can be, that can turn into pressure. Yeah. And, you know, this this is when you see, this is when you see fighters that, you know, and what they're made of because that pressure either makes a fighter like McGregor or even, you know, Maquan Amir Khan. You know, he's, he's another person that comes to mind that just deals with the pressure very well. Um, and other fighters don't. I mean, Tom's always, always come across as a, a real disciplined martial artist to me. But whether he, whether he doesn't enjoy the actual performance side of it and the competition side of it in the public eye, mm-hmm. I don't know. But I mean, he's been doing grappling tournaments and stuff, so he's been active.
1: Yeah.
0: So I hope we. Uh, I hope he. You know, whatever it was, he's resolved. Whether it's a, you know, a doctor or a mental coach or whatever, he's he's gonna need to get him back in there. Because if if we lose him at this stage in his career, I think we'll all look back and think, you know, what what could have been.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. Is someone the whole of the UK MMA has been excited about for such a long time that, and it was inevitable that he would move up to middleweight because of the size of his frame. I think that was the most disappointing thing, and not seeing him in action at the weekend. We were all we were all looking forward to Tom Bree's two point zero. To be honest with you, and see what he would like if he with a full belly and with a full camp, and he seemed happy because he was back in Birmingham. You know, fingers crossed he you know, he he beats those demons, he finds his way through and, and hopefully we see him in action soon. Obviously there's a ton of events coming up, not least UFC Glasgow, which would obviously be perfect for him. But um, you know, first and foremost he's gotta try and get that, that blood pressure uh, that heart rate, yeah. sorry, under control. Uh coming on well,
0: to the... he, he should come over to the reptile house. We can do some training sessions and, and switch on for him.
1: Exactly. <laughs> I love it. Uh coming on to the card itself. Again, you know, I think we started in, in real fashion as well. For me, two great fights and two really close fights as well. I think the first one for me personally, I scored Pudlova as the winner in the, in the first fight against Landberg, just purely for you know I thought she come on strong in the second round, had a great third round, and just you know the fact that you know you look at the both girls' faces at the end of the fight. I think Pudlova, even though she seemed to be a smaller woman, done uh, done the most damage. And then in that Bradley Scott uh, Scott Askham fight, which we were which we were all excited about, the Battle of Britain. God, that delivered didn't it, Dan?
0: Oh, it did. It was amazing. You know, I mean, those low kicks for a start, you could see the, you know, you could see um, uh, Scott Ascombe registered immediately yeah. that there was damage there and it was hurting him. And I mean, I thought both both fighters gave a great account of themselves. You know, I mean, they've both got a lot of talent and they've both got a lot of potential. Obviously, it was there was some pressure for Scott Ascombe having it being his first fight over, you know, a fighting out of American top team. He had a new corner team and that kind of thing. Um, and Bradley Scott's a, a very difficult person to deal with. He, he commands the octagon very well, yeah. even when he's not doing anything. You know, he's such a he's such a sizable uh, human being. He, like, like I said before, you know, when we were chatting last week, he reminds. There's something about him that reminds me of Forrest Griffin. Just the way he kind of fills, he just occupies the space that he's in. He, he, do you know what I mean? He's, yeah, yeah. He, he's got a very you know, he's, he's got a very broad physique. He's very wide. He's very thick, and dense, and as he moves forward, he just kind of closes the octagon down. And when you think, you know, Scott Askin being as tall as he is, he just couldn't seem to be able to keep him away. He was no. constantly backed up against the fence. And, you know, I, I thought it was a great performance from Brad Scott. And I think he, um, as he said in his post-fight interview, he was he was right near the end of his career. He was thinking about hanging the gloves up. So I'm glad that he got that win because I don't think it's going to slow Scott Askin down at all. I think he goes back and improves and continues on. Mm-hmm. And I think now we've got, uh, you know, Bradley Scott, who's a potential middleweight contender as well in the future. So... You know, it was disappointing for Scott Askham to not get the win, but a, a hard-fought split decision was was a credit to both guys. And obviously the first fight as well. And even, you know, Lena Landsberg in her post-fight interview said that she didn't feel like she won the fight. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously that it was a big third round for her. She took a lot of uh, those short uh, Travis Brown elbows to That's the side true. of the head and got a bad swelling on her face. But, it, you know, again, it was a great rematch. Um, I mean, the fort one time before, and Landsberg wasn't happy with her previous performance. I'm sure Pudilova was not happy with that performance, even though, you know, a lot of people thought thought she won the fight. I, I, yeah. I would love to see another rematch. And I think that I think that both ladies have got a lot more to give in their career. Um, yeah, and I I'd, think that they can make each other better.
1: That's right. I th- and I think Pudilova probably suffered a little bit because it was a UFC debut. And, you know, there's no show like the UFC show. I think that kind of affected her in the first round. She let Landsberg overwhelm her. But once she kind of got her, her teeth into the fight, she looked fantastic. You know, she, I thought she looked great. And in terms of the... You know, I've got to say, Tip me cutter Brad Scott, and his corner team, John Crouch. You know, I thought they they really did their homework. Uh, those low leg kicks, you know, just above the ankle, he was targeting, and it just took the legs from under Scott. and really took his base away, and as you know, forced Scott to switch to southpaw and back to orthodox and things to try and protect that ankle. I think he, you know, that took his mind off the fight, and that's probably where Brad Scott got the opening to to surge ahead on the on the judges' cards. But you, you're right, an absolutely great fight. A great fight. And listen, before we talk about Marchikazy, because you know one of the obviously one of the standout moments, potential knockout of the year candidate. Before we get too excited about that, can I just mention Leon Edwards again? Uh, that's three yeah. wins now on the bounce in the UFC. This guy is just chipping away at this welterweight division, and nobody seems to be taking any notice whatsoever.
0: Well, he's just it's so, just so quietly spoken. You know what I mean? He's, he's a very unassuming character, but then you see him performing you realize his potential and Vicente Luque is no jokey. I mean, that was, Leon was ended a four fight win streak that he was riding. Mm-hmm. You know, that would have been five fights in a row, which would have meant Luque would have moved, you know, way further up the rankings with that kind of run. Um, but Leon was, you know, he looked great. He looked, he looked very calm. He looks like he's developing all the time. And um, I just think he gave a great account of himself. And then, yeah. you know, he, he went on to make a call out afterwards, which is, which is always good to see.
1: Yeah. You know, coming off a big win over Tumanov as well, I think Rocky's just doesn't perhaps isn't getting the you know the attention he deserves. You know, after another, as you say, a massive scalp, but it doesn't help, of course, when uh, when you when you follow Mark Jukayzi into the octagon. Will anybody want to follow this guy again? Because you know he <laughs> promises he promises us sensational finishes, and boy, did he deliver against Timu Paklen, who again, no joking of a, of an opponent.
0: No, no. I mean Pacqueline came out looking like he was going to stand and trade and after that spinning back kick that duKsey that landed there, there was an immediate switch in, in um approach I mean there was a, a real urgency to close that distance down and I, I just think Mark played it very well I mean he, you know he came out and took the center of the oxygen straight away he was throwing uh spinning kicks and, and jump you know jump back kicks and stuff all the kind of things that would make Someone who's uh, you know a, a grappler over a striker like Pakalem mm-hmm. kind of closed up a little bit and, and a bit panicked. So he backed up against the fence, he landed that beautiful kick, and then immediately Pakalem was like, right, I've got to get my hands on this guy. And then he started to chase, and he started to reach a little bit. Yeah. And, and again, fair play for Giacchia, he didn't take the first opportunity. If you watch the fight back, the first opportunity when he spots the, the opening, he sees it, and then he backs up and he gives space, which then causes Pakalem to keep moving forward and he just walks straight onto that right hand. And I mean, you know, and Giacomo knew when he was throwing it that it, that it was going to finish the fight because he hit it and was already moving away. Yeah, it, it was, I mean, pinpoint accurate. Shows you how powerful he is as well. And then, you know, to, to, to send someone stiff before they hit the canvas He's always such a dramatic finish, in my opinion, because that shows you how accurate the strike was.
1: Yeah, it was, you know, it, that old mannequin finish where he just literally, Pakalan's lights were switched out. I just, it, it it brought back shades of uh, Edson Barbosa's knockout over Terry Ettem to me as well. Yeah. It just it was exactly the same type of finish. As soon as the strike landed, he was out cold and his body just kind of went down like a like an old oak tree but uh, yeah. it just feels like, is this the tip of the iceberg with Giacase? Obviously, we spoke to him pre-camp. They said that the guys at AT2 obviously have just worked for him for the first time at this camp. All the guys at eighty-two. I spoke to Mike Brown, everybody else was like, you know, this guy's a future world champion. This guy is incredible. So the fact that, straight away he's gone over there and he's not playing catch up on the American Campson who they've got, the lightweights they've got over at ATT. It's got to be exciting from a UK perspective that we've already got a guy here that legitimately could contend with the very best.
0: Yeah, w- without a doubt. The only danger with March Casey is just holding him back a little bit so he doesn't, uh, you know, they don't jump the gun and throw him in there with with someone that's going to, you know, cause him any problems too soon because, there is still a lot of development left in his game. You know, like pac was a perfect opponent for him and there are great opponents for him in the future, but when you've got someone who's marketable, who speaks well and obviously puts performances together like that, there is a tendency of of pushing them a little bit too quickly. Um, And and I I think, you know, I mean, I think if we're going to see Marjorie Casey as a world champion, it's not going to be for a couple of years. You know, he's got a bit of growing to do and I'm looking forward to that journey. You know, this is what we were talking about earlier about People getting down for the undercards. You know, you've got to see these fighters because Marcu Casey right now fighting on the undercard and getting spectacular knockouts is going to be the guy in the main and co-main event in you know a year or two's time over here. Yeah, and then he's going to move on and, and start contending for belts. It's so, sky's the limit for him, really.
1: So exciting to see this journey, and it's in its fledgling stages. It has got already. It's got hints because I got a message off a, of a pal of mine and said. Mark my words, by the end of next year, Jacuzzi, Conor McGregor at Wembley Stadium. And I was just cool. like, it, it's crazy the way people are linking him to that level so quickly on the strength of what potentially is the first time they've ever seen him fight. But great for UK fans to be able to really get behind. And to be fair, this was the type of performance you know, I felt Jacuzzi needed here, but also this was the type of performance I was hoping from Tom Brees up at middleweight as well to see Tom Brees, the finisher, come back.
0: Yeah, yeah, and I, I do think he has that potential at middleweight, and I, you know, I think, I mean, I think Bamboche would have been a, a great test for him. Yeah. But, you know, w- with the unpredictability of Bamboche, there would have definitely have been some shots landed on his part, and Tom Brees would have had to come through some adversity. And you know, we've not seen that a great deal. You know, the, the Strickland fight, he looked very frustrated, whereas you know, with Nakamura, he controlled the fight pretty much start to finish, and then before that, there were two first round stoppages. You know, he. He's got all the tools and all the potential. He really does. It's all about putting it together now. And and I, I like like we like we just said. I don't think the physical aspect is what's missing. It's his self belief. Yeah. And I mean, if if I had the skills and the, the build and the physique that he's got, I'd be calling out world champions right now because he has that potential. There's no doubt about it.
1: Yeah. Speaking about fighters with potential as well, you know, for me that was. That was a almost a, a point perfect display from Joe Duffy against Raza Madadi. Obviously, Madadi made it an incredible fight as he always does. He makes it so exciting. But let's face it, you know he got punched from pillar to post over the full three rounds. But you know, Mad Dog the way he is, he uh, you know he makes he keeps it entertaining even though he's fighting through a veil of blood. But for me, Joe Duffy kept us cool. Um, you know, he, he stuffed those takedown attempts. He fired in elbows. His boxing obviously was absolutely on point. Uh, you know, I thought that was vintage Joe Duffy, and be interesting to get your take down on what you think. What will be next for him? Do you think he'll stick with the UFC? Obviously, that was the last fight in his contract.
0: Um, I, I think I, I don't think he can go anywhere else. To be honest, I, you know, speaking to Joe Duffy, he wants to be the best in the world. Um, and I've said this before. You know, if you want to be the best in the world, you've got to fight for the UFC. If you want to be the best in another organization, or you want to make a bit of cash quickly, then yeah. You know, I mean, there are other places out there that you could potentially look, but if you're interested in being the world champion, the, the best fighter in, on, on the planet in your weight class, you've got to be on the UFC roster because that's where the best are. Yeah. And Joe Duffy, more than anything, will will focus on on being the best and being the champion over filling his bank account. So, I'm obviously, you know, it was a risk that he took uh, to fight out his contract, but now that puts him in a strong position to renegotiate. And what would that win over Connor McGregor? I mean, he is a bit of a golden ticket. Yep. you know, I mean you know there there is definitely a, a rematch in the future that that's a fight that Connor would take, I think, because you know I'm sure he wants to get that that win back on his record. And as you said, it was just such a it was such a complete performance. you know he got taken down early but then was able to reverse it. and as soon as he got the reversal and he was back on top the whole of the rest of the fight was his. Yeah, And a credit to Reza, he, he is one of the toughest guys I know, and I love watching him fight because you always know what you're going to get. He's always going to take a risk, and he's always going to you know, basically put his face on the line to, to, to try and damage yours.
1: Yep.
0: But um, you know what I needed to see from Joe Duffy in, in this fight was exactly what I got. If you look at the Poirier fight, he got drawn into a war a few times there, and mm-hmm. that's how Poirier likes to fight. He likes to make it scrappy because he hits hard, and he can smother you with good wrestling. And and I feel like the fight slipped away from Duffy because he engaged him too much. Whereas you know against Reza, who is more aggressive and more reckless, and has really really strong wrestling in comparison to to, po- to Poirier, I thought he he was very measured. You know, and this is what I spoke to him about in the post fight interview. That he didn't feel that pressure to get the finish. Obviously he wanted it, but if anything, I think it was better that we didn't get the finish because we saw him you know, work to the final bell and to control the fight throughout, because when he gets up against these tougher opponents, you, you can't get drawn into those wars, because, the, the, you know, the, the margin for error is so much smaller. So we need to see him fight disciplined and fight smart, because we know he can finish. We've seen that already. Yep. We, now we need to see him work through to a decision, and, and to be to be a complete athlete, which is exactly what he showed against Reza.
1: Yeah, definitely. We we see often with these Amaya cards that the guys, you know, similar names pop up on on, the, on later cards, and they seem to be like if you if you fight in London, then you're necessarily going to be on the card in Sweden and whatever else is. W- will there be some, you know, from a, from a UK perspective and a UK and Ireland perspective? I don't necessarily want to see it next, but will it be a little bit of pressure now to see potentially Joe Duffy go in against Mark Jaczy? Do you think? Do you think that could be a matchup that gets talked about?
0: Um I, I don't Do you think Joe's a little bit
1: ahead of, of Mark yeah, at the moment?
0: I, I think so. You know, I, I think that um, I think that win over McGregor, even though it was in Cage Warriors a few years ago, I think that puts Joe Duffy in a position where he can always look up the rankings. He's never gonna have to look back into the rankings and think, Who am I gonna have to slow down? Who am I gonna have to take on and try and dip my position? Because you know, I mean that 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 win on his record over McGregor is probably the most valuable thing that he's got on his record right yeah. now, and and he can draw on that. He can constantly keep climbing up the rankings. And there are some awesome fights. I mean, you know, imagine him fighting someone like Edson Barbosa down believe, the line. Of course, you know what what a beautiful fight that would be, or even someone like you know like like Cowboy if, if he decides to step down to lightweight, or Gleason Tibau. You know, yeah, someone that's someone that's that's world-class world that has been in there with some of the best and, and has shown their durability.
1: Like a Gilbert because, Melendez or something, that could be a great fight for them as well.
0: Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean Gilbert Melendez would be a fun fight for anybody because you know he's going to stand and box. Yeah. And, uh, and, I mean, Joe Duffy, for, for my money, has probably got the best hands in the division. Yeah. And I know McGregor wouldn't want to hear that, but the, the, the hand speed as well as the accuracy and his ability to, com- to put combinations together to break people down, I mean, it's thing of beauty. He's a very, very talented fighter. And I said it on the broadcast as well. You know, for young up-and-coming martial artists that want to learn how to fight like a mixed martial artist, watch that fight. Watch that that Joe Duffy's last fight. Because, I mean, you'll be hard-pressed to find find errors in his approach.
1: Completely, yeah. I thought it was absolutely outstanding performance, and uh speaking of outstanding performances for me and you know i, I didn't expect it to be honest with you, uh, you know going into the fight i you know I was forced to pick one and I, I kind of went with Amir Carney just because of his experience and the fact that he's he's taken this uh, his u f c tenure so far uh, in his stride i mean we haven't seen as much as Arnold Allen as I would have liked. But tell you what, I thought Arnold Allen was sensational in London and more so, I thought Firas Zahabi absolutely nailed the game plan because not only did they beat Amir Khani, but they beat him at his own game as well, Dan.
0: Yes, yeah. You know, we got exactly what we expected from from, uh, and Amir Khani. You know, he comes out, he starts fast, he tries to capitalise on that chaos that he can create. And because he's such a fluid wrestler, he's able to, to catch people and better them. Until so he finds a position where he can threaten, uh, uh, you know, threaten a submission without them really being fully switched on, ready to defend it. You know, that, I mean, that was certainly the case against Andy Ugal, and then against Masio Fullen as well. Where he just kind of jumps on people, yeah. and because he's, a, he's able to work so fast and think so quickly, a lot of the time he comes out on top in those scrambles. And, and Arnold Allen, although you know, although he is a, a very talented and very well conditioned athlete. He can be a little bit of a slow starter, and sometimes he has to drag the fight back into his court in order to get the win, and and that's that's a difficult thing to do with a guy like McQuain, and and I thought he did it very well. You know, he weathered the early storm in in all three rounds. In fact, he weathered an early storm of the first sort of two minutes, and then took control of the fight. Um, and you could see the frustration in, in Maquin's face yep, at completely. the end of the first round. You know, he goes back to his stool, he sits on his stool. You could see it that you know. He felt like he had to come out in the second round and jump on him and get a choke immediately because he didn't want this to go to a decision. He knows that Arnold Allen's a, a grinder. He has the ability to, to stay the distance and to fight hard right until the last bell. You know, it was a good lesson for Michael and American. Not not a massive hit to his record. You know, a no. split decision. You know, and and both of these kids, with them being young uh, young prospects, a, a loss at this stage is not really going to slow them down. Um, what's nice is that Mac, when he went three and zero in the UFC, now he's picked up his first loss. That was Arnold Allen's third win in the UFC. So now we'll see him jump up in competition and, and take on somebody, and you know possibly pick up a loss. But it doesn't matter. It's a part of the journey of these kids, and and that's why I, that's why I, I love this sport because you don't get to the get to a world title with you know and have a perfect record. I mean, mm-hmm. if Khabib manages to get the belt off Connor without getting a loss on his record, then that'd be very very surprising because. There Are so many ways to lose in mixed martial arts, and it, it, I don't think there's any shame to it. You know, it, the shame is if you don't learn from those losses and, and be better in the next outing. and I don't think we're going to see that from either of these guys. I think both of them are going to continue to grow,
1: yeah, completely. Um, I think the, the few I'm, I'm exactly right, Dan. I think the future is very bright for both of them. I was, um, i say, I, I it just stood out to me, Arlen Allen, at the weekend, because I've heard so much about him in the past, obviously it was from the u k I m and may seem when he was fighting up in the northeast at the late taking the last minute fights, and people you know were whispering in the ear that he was that he was going to be this and going to be that and then when I actually met him for the first time, I thought he looks like a an extra from Harry Potter, he's just like some small, quite slender, unassuming, you know quiet. You know, uh, a nice character was Amir Carney. You know, he's, he he typifies a prize fighter, really. Carries himself, got a lot of swagger about him. Arnold Allen kind of takes it all on the chin. But boy, did he did he hang with him in the grappling department. He showed that he's got real man strength, Arnold Allen, to, to live with Amir Carney on the ground, certainly. And uh, I'm yeah. super excited now to see what's next for Arnold Allen. I'm, I'm excited to see what Sean Shelby, the matchmaker, puts in front of him because uh, hopefully he's going to get out again sooner. We don't want him out for another year like he was last time. We want to try and see keep him nice and busy, if not Sweden, maybe Glasgow. And it'll uh, be super exciting to see where he ends up by the end of the year. As you say, a loss wouldn't, wouldn't do him any harm. So let's just test him now and, and bring him forward.
0: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I'd love to see him against someone that can, that can create some scrambles. You know, someone that can uh, cause a little bit of chaos in there and uh, and push him.
1: Yeah. Yeah, uh,
0: you know, I mean, uh, you know, uh, someone someone like a Darren Elkins would be a lot of
1: fun. Yeah. Completely. Yeah. Completely. Uh, moving on then, we're just coming up to the, th- towards the end of the card now, obviously, uh, before, we, we talk, before we talk about Brad and the romance of it all, once again, I just want to say, you know, Hats off to Marlon Vera, the guy takes the fight at last minute, he keeps Brad on the card, otherwise Brad, you know, we were struggling to get an opponent for him, Marlon, Marlon Vera stepped up, he kept Brad's farewell performance in London on, which was, you know, we, we're forever thankful for, and he took us opportunity, you know, he, he, he took, for me, he took a bit of a beating for two rounds, he was probably two rounds down, heading into the third round, but then when opportunity came, you know, he, he struck... And he took that victory, and uh, you know, upwards and onwards. And you could see when he was speaking to you in the octagon afterwards, Dan, how emotional it was for Marlon to, to beat someone like Brad, clearly someone that he's looked up to. And he knew he knew he'd spoiled the party. And I think that got to him emotionally as well. I think he was a bit choked up because he thought, "I'm the villain here now. I've I've kind of ruined the big swan song of Brad Pickett.
0: Yeah, a little bit. You know, I have to respect him for taking that. You know, taking the challenge. on. he must have known what he was walking into with it being you know, Brad's retirement fight in London, you know, and we all know who Brad is. and We've all followed his career, and we all have so much respect for him, and, you know, I, I'm sure even I'm sure even Marlon Vera would have been pulling for him had he not been fighting him. Um, but it showed a calmness of mind, and it showed a maturity, and it also showed a great corner team as well. Yeah. You know, there, there was some you know, right at the end of the third, at the end of the second round, Vera went back to his corner, and Colin Oyama said, you're fighting one guy, you're not fighting everybody in this arena. Mm-hmm. Go and do your job, and it was just something that switched in his mind. And I mean, as people know, and you know, people that know anything about Marlon Vera, they know that he's fighting for something very close to his heart. Yeah. Um, and that is, that is clearly a very powerful driving factor, driving force behind him, which is going to, it's going to push him on, you know, especially now with Timo yama uh, with, with uh, you know, with guys like Ian McCall and people like that, that, that can kind of pass on their experience and their veteran knowledge to him. Um, Really, you know, really good performance for him. Disappointing for Brad. Yeah. But at the same time, Brad wouldn't have wanted someone that was going to come and lay down for him. No, You know, if anything, if Brad had have walked away with that win, he may have questioned whether Marlon Behrer was giving all he got. Whereas at least he knows, you know, he won the first two rounds because he beat him the first two rounds. He was in a fight and he lost, you know, he, he lost with what? A minute left to go in the, in the fight. Yeah, exactly. It just doesn't, it doesn't change anything for me. You know, people love Brad because he's Brad. Yeah, he, could, exactly. he could fight another 10 times and lose every single one of them and people will still love him he's just one of those guys you know we, we live vicariously through him and he's, he's he's kind enough to share his journey with us
1: well that's exactly it and I think you hit the nail right on the head there I thought he, he wins the first two rounds he, you know any other fighter, any other corner team, any other occasion, you potentially go right. You're two rounds up now. Just do what you do what you can do. Let's you know do what you did against Neil Siri, if you like, have a bit of an exchange, then get close, close the distance, double leg, put him on his back, grind the round out, run the clock down. You know, let's just get this win in the back now. But typical Brad Pick, and he could have done that. You know, potentially he could have taken Marlon Vera down. He could have stifled him. He could have held him down. You know, ground him on. The, you know, and, and just finished that third round and seen it out. But typical Brad. You know he's swinging to the end, seventy seconds last on the clock, left on the clock, and he's still looking for that big one punch finish. He's still looking for that big knockout. Do you think, in hindsight, you look back and kind of regret that he didn't approach that last round a little bit more, you know, professionally is the wrong word, but a bit, a bit, a bit more safely? Or do you think this is just Brad? It's just his entire career has been like this. So, you know, he was never going to go out on a on a takedown and a hold down. He was always going to go looking for the one punch. Yeah, no, I
0: I don't think he's going to look back. I spoke to him backstage afterwards, and and he said, you know, it was disappointing, but I know it's done now. I know that this this chapter's come to an end, and I think if anything, that head kick gave him some closure because I think if he'd have won, there'd have always been that question in his mind of, well, you know, maybe there's another one. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know, because he's a fighter, and that will always be. You know, just because his body's not keeping up with his head, it doesn't mean that his head's not still wanting to fight everybody in the weight class. Um. I, I think I mean it played out as well as it could have done. for Brad, he got so much, he got so much love and respect. And 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 like I said before, I, I think if he'd have won a decision, he would have always had that question in the back of his mind as to whether Vera gave him everything he got. And at least now he knows that Vera came and gave him everything. And and he won the first two rounds. I mean, those takedowns were just beautiful. Yeah, big slams. You know, it was, it was a good performance, for Brad. You could see he was still taking chances and trying to get that finish. And you know. All, all, all Brad's fighting for at the end of the day is respect and he's got that in bucket loads
1: oh yeah big time big time as I said to him afterwards you know he, he may not get there he may not work that way but he's Hall of Fame for me you know if we had a UK MMA Hall of Fame he is Brad Pickett's bronze statue is safely secured moving on to the moving on to the co-main then the main event before we wrap it up Co-main event again, you know. I've I've got to be honest. I was I was chatting with Kenny Johnson in the run up to the fight. I was at a chat with Alan Juban as well. I spoke to a, a good friend of ours actually, Joe the uh, the former Olympic, the former Team USA Olympic swimmer. He used to train with you and Alan. I think he did. Joe, right. uh, Joe. I was chatting with him as well, and he said Joe was in great shape and uh, Alan was in great shape. Sorry. So heading into the fight. Fight week, I was like, you know what, Gunnar's up against it. You know, I think Gunnar's, the pressure's on him. His top ten ranking's on the line. He hasn't looked great. He hasn't been as active as he could be. Every time he stepped up, he kind of has been falling short. Andrew Duban's catching him at the right time. He, for me, all the ingredients were there for a bit of an upset, but I thought, I'll be honest, I thought Gunnar Nelson was absolutely on point last Saturday.
0: I thought it was his best performance yet, honestly. Yep. I thought that, uh, you know, I mean, he was measured, he was calm. Obviously, his ground game is is absolutely phenomenal. His ability to just to take people down and just smash them into the canvas and just to work them over was was amazing. You know, and it, it always will be amazing, especially because you know we know what he's going to do. You know, we spoke about it on UFC breakdown. I mean, yeah. I'm sure Alan watched that. I'm sure Alan knew that there was going to be a you know a sharp right hand, a takedown, and then he was going to progress to mount and start chasing his back, which is exactly what he did. And it's even more impressive when you know what someone's going to do and they can still do it. Yeah, and and uh, I mean the the punch that he landed. Uh, chatting to Alan afterwards, he didn't even realise he'd been hit. He thought he was taken down and submitted. Wow, and it just goes to show you how how quick and how powerful that punch was, and right on the right on the target as well. You know, there's no there's no anxiousness, there's no uh, there's no nerves in Gunnar Nelson's style because if there was, it wouldn't work. Whereas you know Alan is much more of a is a volume fighter, He's, he's a scrappy fighter. He'll take risks. He'll, he'll throw, you know, a, a multitude of different strikes all at one time. You know, he, he can really put things together very well. And I my question was whether Gunnar was going to be able to keep space from him. You know, he doesn't have the takedown defense that Rick Storey has, so he wasn't necessarily going to stuff Gunnar's game in that way. But I certainly thought, you know, his 10th Planet Jiu-Jitsu was going to be able to create some scrambles and possibly getting back to his feet. Um, but Gunnar just shows, you know, he shows why he's so such an intriguing fighter. Because he's able to get in there and look like he's waiting for a bus and take out some of the best guys in the world.
1: Yeah, exactly. And uh, you know, obviously, I think he paid his dues there. I think you, you I think if you're a top ten ranked guy and you beat you beat someone or you, you you agree to face someone that's unranked, I think that automatically then should should put you forward for your next outing to face someone who's also in the top ten. It's like you've okay, I've paid my dues, I've secured the fact I'm in the top ten. Now I need to look up. So. Looking up on the rankings, who who if you were matchmaking, Dan, who, who would you like to see Gunny in with next? A Donald Cerrone maybe, or a, yeah, potentially yeah. even a Robbie Lawler. Is, is Robbie Lawler that would... Is that a style that would work with Gunny? Do you think?
0: Potentially, I mean, you know, I mean, it's, it's a very different style to anything Gunner's faced. You know, he, obviously Lawler's got great take down defense, and and you know, because he's got that that veteran experience, he can find his way back into fights. Now, over three rounds, it might be a different thing entirely because Robbie does put the, put his foot on the gas over three rounds, as opposed to five rounds where he does hang back a little bit. Um, but there, I mean, there are some great. I mean, I, I I'd, I'd love to see uh, I'd love to see him against Cowboys. I'd love to see him against Masvidal. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, there, there are so many guys that, that are in or about in and about the rankings now. I mean, Tarek Staffordine's right around that, right around Gunnar Nelson as well. I think he's either right above or right below. Yeah. That'd be another great win for him before he before he starts looking towards the top five. Um, if Masvidal wasn't matched up with Maya I would say that's that's the obvious next fight for him, um, especially because because Masvidal threw the gauntlet down to the UFC and said I'd to find someone that can beat me. Yeah. Now, if Masvidal can get get through Maya then that that'd be very very impressive. But you know, I would even I would even watch a rematch. you know if if Masvidal does win that fight, I would watch the rematch between Gunnar and and Meyer.
1: Hundred percent.
0: You know, we know that Gunnar goes away and analyzes these fights and takes them apart. And I would imagine he's watched that fight over and over again to see where his mistakes were on the ground and how he can close those holes. So I, I, I would like to see the the rematch between those two, just so I can see the evolution of Gunnar's
1: game. Yeah, definitely. And in terms of Alan Ban, obviously someone you know well. Um, you know, it's certainly this loss doesn't doesn't put. Put set him any further back if you like, and uh, this is something he can certainly grow from and move forward. You know, there's, there's certainly things he can pick up. I know, as I say, I spoke to Connie, Kenny Johnson afterwards as well, and he was like, you know, we just got beat by the better man tonight, but it gives us tons to go away and work on.
0: Yeah, there's loads to, to work on for Alan, and it's not not to say that he's not already got a very well rounded game as it is, but because Gunnar is such a, an unusual fighter in comparison to your average mixed martial artist. He's always going to highlight things in your game that nobody else was able to point out. Um, and I think that's, that's one of the beautiful things of fighting Gunnar Nelson is that you're, you're always going to get a lesson in something. Yeah. There's always going to be something you can sit down with your coaches and say, you know, he was better than me there. He, he beat me there. I didn't know, I didn't have an answer for that. So what is the answer for that? And then that's that's how we see these fighters improve. You know, there, there are some great fights out there for, for Allen still. I mean, you know, imagine him fighting someone like Matt Brown. You know that'd be a lot of fun. Yeah, it would be a ton to of fun. Forward.
1: Yeah, exactly. Hundred yeah. yeah. um, percent. Bringing us on nicely then to the to obviously the main event at the weekend and speaking about fights that we want to make and, and fights for potential. But we touched on it at the start of the show, Jimmy Mano. Obviously, Jimmy said in the Octagon afterwards that he uh, that he would love to face the winner of, of Rumble versus DC. We spoke about it together off here, and I was saying to. I would love him to call out John Jones. I really want him to be the welcoming party to bring John Jones back into the UFC should John Jones come back at light heavyweight, which is what we're being led to believe. even called out David Hay, which was kind of cool in there as well. <laughs> I'm, I'm glad he yeah. told you beforehand, Dan, because it didn't throw you. I think he, he'd already mentioned he was going to call out David Hay, which we'll come back to David Hay in a second, but in terms of light heavyweight division, do you think he does deserve the winner of, of DC Rumble next or do you think John Jones makes more sense?
0: Well, I think John Jones makes more sense. Um, I, to be honest, and this is no disrespect to Rumble or DC, but I think it's a bigger fight than the title. Yeah. I think far more people will pay attention to John Jones coming back than anything else. But it's difficult as an athlete to invest in an idea of fighting somebody when you just don't know what that person is up to. You know, I mean, we don't know what John Jones is going to do. We're, we're expecting him to fight DC at 200, and we're all beside ourselves with excitement for that, and that never came off. So. Yeah. It can be frustrating if you're a fighter to call somebody out with, and and not know whether you're ever going to get that fight. Whereas he's already fought Rumble and that didn't go his way, and I know he wants that one back. He'd love a crack at DC purely because DC's got the belt. Um, and I really don't see anybody else. I really don't see anybody else up there. I, I really feel like Gustafson's just going to kind of wait until John Jones is about. I mean, you know, he's taken the Tashira fight, but I, I think that's a. In comparison to some of the others in the top ten, I think that's quite a low risk fight for Gustafson. Yeah, I think it's a good tune-up fight, ready for John Jones to come back. And then the other thing as well, you know, Jones and uh, uh, Gustafson and Manor were training together. Yeah, they both I, I said they, they would Alex. never
1: fight each other. Now they've cut. They've, yeah, you know, you know,
0: I mean, I think that was, you know, I like I like to see those two guys training together. And to be honest, I think Alex is more interested in fighting John Jones than anything else. And I think if he gets the fight with John Jones and gets the win. I think he'll probably hang it, hang, hang on up there. Yeah. I'm not sure whether he's that interested in continuing on. I think that the the John the idea of beating John Jones is the one thing that's keeping him in the gym, and maybe maybe Manuel just didn't call John Jones out because he's he's allowing Gustafson to take that. So I, I don't know. I mean, you know, I'd certainly like to see him fight the winner of uh, the the winner of the title fight. Um, yeah, I, I just, I mean, if if I was being selfish for for, for Jimmy's perspective, I'd call out John Jones. Nine times out of ten, because it's the it's the biggest fight in the sport right now, aside from Conor McGregor.
1: Yeah, the um, speaking of the biggest fights in the sport right now, obviously Connors being linked with Mayweather. We've had Roy Jones Junior. calling out Anderson Silva. We've now got potentially Jimmy Manowar against David Hay. That's three fights on this hybrid boxing versus UFC card. Danny, are you sure you don't want to throw your hat in the ring and I don't know, call out a uh, call out James De or something like that. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I tell you what, I'll, I'll take on Golovkin and Lomachenko Lema- together. Shall <laughs> <other>.
1: <laughs> Strange. You
0: know, I, I like it. It shows it shows the enthusiasm of these MMA fighters to, to, to have a fight with a boxer. I think you know one thing that we can't forget is that you know boxing's a very very strict um, focus on one aspect of mixed martial arts, and yeah. these guys, particularly Mayweather, uh, are close to mastering that art. And it's it's a very different thing to to box and to fight. And I would always pick the mixed martial artist in a fight nine, you know, any day of the week. Of but in a boxing match, I think you know, well, let's put it this way: I think Jimmy Manuel knocks out David Hay. Yeah. But I think that uh, I think that even Roy Jones at his advanced stage could be a little bit too slick for Anderson. And I think that Mayweather just wouldn't take any risks. No. I mean, he, he wouldn't even risk stepping in there with Pacquiao for five years until he felt like he was beatable. So yeah, you know, I, I just. As much as I would like to see the fights, I I really don't see them happening. Um, But, you know, if they do, hey, why why not, uh, you know, why why not, when we've already had Antonio Inoki, uh, Muhammad Ali back in the day. Exactly. You know, there is a precedent for it, but I don't know. The sport's very different now. Uh, And, I mean, don't get me wrong, I would love to watch those fights, but there are big fights in mixed martial arts for all of those fights. 100%
1: hundred percent. Before I let you go, Dan, just a couple of newsy bits. First of all, Ryan Bader jumping over to Bellator. Were you surprised?
0: Um, not really, not really. I think it's a, I think it's a smart move for him. You know, there's no way he's going to go up to up to heavyweight or, or get down to middleweight. No. And I think he looks at the division now, and I think he feels that, like I was saying earlier, you know, he's gone as far as he can in the UFC now. Yeah. I think that there are two reasons you step out of the UFC. One is because you want to be a champion, and you know you're not going to get a UFC belt. And the other is because you can make a ton of money fighting easier opponents. Yeah, And, you know, no disrespect to him, but I think for, for as a career move, to, you know, to make a bit of cash and look after his family and all that, I think it's a smart move. He could stick around in the UFC, but he's always going to hit that brick wall when he gets to the top five. Yeah. You know, even when the top five now have changed and, and we've got a new top five, Ryan Bade is not, not quite going to be able to crack that top five, in my opinion. And I think, you know, he looks at you know, guys like Manua and Rumble and DC and thinks to himself, they're, they're, just, they're not winnable fights for me. I could either take, you know, less money and fight these guys or make a bit more cash fighting guys that are easier to beat because I've got a name from the ultimate fighter. And it's disappointing to lose him. I was disappointed when Phil Davis jumped ship as well because yeah. I still feel like he had a lot more potential to show and, and he just didn't reach it in the UFC. But I, I can't knock it. it. It's different when a guy is, you know, a top contender in a division... And looks like he has the potential to be a UFC champion, and then decides to jump ship because that, to me, is is avoiding the best competition for the sake of a, a fight purse. And it's never been about that for me. No. Um, but then, you know, I, I can't judge everybody else based on based on my outlook and my perspective. And I think that for Ryan Bader, that's that's a smart decision to make at this point in his career.
1: Yeah, good luck to him. Of course, he, uh he's more than likely going to jump straight into that fight with uh, with Phil Davis for the Bellator title as well. But good luck to Scott and the team with that because I watched their first fight in Sweden and it was shite. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Uh, finally, one one last thing. I, I can't let you go without asking you about the uh, about the you know your your old nemesis, if you like, his big comeback. GSP is coming back to fight Michael Bisping at middleweight. You know. A, are we making this stuff up? What the hell's going on with IMG? This is crazy. But we're bought in already. We we can't wait to see it. The press conference went down. It was, you know, Bisping brought this new age press conference, you know, like Connor's brought in, you know, lots of swearing, turned up late, couldn't give a fuck about George, couldn't care less about this, couldn't get... Uh Poor George is sitting there thinking, wait a minute, this is not the UFC I left behind. The UFC I left behind was very respectful and everyone was thankful. It was very, the martial art, it was all about the martial arts. It feels like George is now five years late for the prom in some ways, but do you think the fight, how do you see, do you see the fight playing out, then.
0: Well, the thing with George, you know, he's been out for some time and he's, he is a bit of an unknown commodity because we don't really know what he's been doing. I mean, I know he's worked through an injury, but for the most part, my impression is that he's been training hard. And I, I spoke to Faraz, I spoke to a couple of other guys from the TriStar camp, and when I asked them about GSP, they had this real... Real cheeky smile on their face, like you're gonna see some improvements in his game. So, um, you know, the jury's out on GSP and where he's at right now. I don't think he would be taking the fight if he thought he was gonna lose because, you know, he's, you know, his brand is so big. He doesn't need to come back. He's, he's already done everything he needs to do within the sport to yeah. be respected forever. Um, so he obviously looks at Michael Bisping, and thinks to himself, "This is a guy I can definitely beat." And yeah. I'm sure his confidence, you know, his confidence peaked after that press conference as well because. Seeing Michael come out, and Michael was, you know, he obviously be having a good time in Vegas. He was pissed. Yeah, he was clearly yeah. pissed. Yeah. Yeah,
1: you know, <laughs> I
0: think GSP looks at him and thinks, "Well, you know, he's not taking me seriously," and that is a, a massive, massive benefit to me because uh, uh, GSP can't be underestimated. You know, he's he's a fa- he was a fantastic champion. He's got great wrestling, and it, it's, it's, it's it's his athletic ability. Which really stands out above everybody else because he, he's able to make things work that most people can't. Yeah. Now Michael Bisping, on the other hand, is a guy that makes things work because he works hard at them. You know, he, he pushes. He's got the highest work rate in the UFC, more oxygen time than anybody else, and he's also the bigger man. Yeah. You know, six foot two to what? Well, Was six foot one to what? Five ten, I think GSP is. You know, plus if you go back and watch Bisping's takedown defense against uh, Rashard Evans. He's got good takedown defense against Tim Kennedy as well. You know, he, mm-hmm. he's, he's able to deal with big, strong wrestlers. And because GSP is not the, not the big, strong wrestler, he, he is a good wrestler, but he's not the big, strong wrestler in this fight, I think that makes it uh, a, a, an easier night for Bisping to keep this on the feet. And then it's all about GSP dealing with the pressure that Bisping can put on him. Yeah. Because, you know, well, it's going to be difficult to find someone. I mean, well, let's put it this way. And this is backed up with stats. Mike Bisping's got a higher work rate than Frankie Edgar wow <laughs> you know what I mean So, like, if you think the middleweight champion has got a higher work rate than the former lightweight and featherweight uh contender former yeah. lightweight champion featherweight contender that really saves something for Michael Bisping and, and his ability to keep a pace which I think most people would just break under um and you know I think and Michael as well you know he's on he's at the best place in his career right now he's the world champion he's, he's been shutting people up left right and center which is probably the most, enjoy- most enjoyment that Michael's ever gotten out of this sport, to oh, be honest. Yeah. He loves proving people wrong. Yeah. And there's going to be a lot of people that pick GSP in this fight, and it's another opportunity for Michael to prove him wrong. Do
1: you think he's got, you know, naked pictures of Sean Shelby's family or something? Because he's been... Mat- go back 15 months ago, Michael Bispin couldn't have hand-picked better opponents. He's literally had every dream come true, and GSP is just, you know, potentially could be the cherry on the cake.
0: Well... You know Bisping said it himself. He fought everybody. It was not a fight that Bisping turned down. You know he's had some of the toughest fights in in the UFC, and he's he's always taken them. He's never never shied away from a, from a challenge. So you know he's got the belt now. Yeah, um, exactly. Obviously, I would love to see him fight Ramirez. I think that's a hell of a fight for him. It's going to be very difficult to, yeah. to to stop that guy. Um, but you can't deny GSP is the fight that everyone wants to see purely because it's GSP. You know, it's like John Jones coming back. I mean. It, it, it's a big money fight, and Michael Michael is most definitely going to take that. It, it makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm I'm beside myself with excitement just that GSP's coming back because of course I always learnt so much off him. Partly when I was getting beaten up by him, but also <laughs> watching his fights. You know, yeah. you, you can learn so much from a guy that he's such a a, a well conditioned and well prepared professional.
1: I think if Anderson beats beats Gastelum, I think Anderson faces the winner regardless of rankings. I think poor Yoel gets his nose pushed out again. I think GSP will only stick around at middleweight should he beat but He only sticks around to fight Anderson Silva. He's, I can't see GSP fighting Yoel or Jacare or, or uh, Luke Rockhold or anybody like that. I think those guys are probably just a bit a bit too big. I can see GSP either fighting Anderson or even coming back down and maybe fighting Conor McGregor at some kind of catchweight. I think that's, got a, that, yeah. that, that's a potential pay-per-view. Because it seems like IMG, this is kind of the way they're going. It, it seems slight shift from the Zuffa era where it's more about The big pay-per-view events, you know, there's a lot more focus on the big pay-per-view dollars rather than, um, you know, the number one contenders getting their chances when they potentially deserve it first.
0: Yeah, you know, I mean, I think I think IMG are really trying to understand the sport now. I mean, they've they've picked up this this huge brand, so much potential, and I think more than anything, they're just listening to the fans and responding to them. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, GSP coming back is. You know, it's a huge money maker for the for the for the uh, for the industry and for the sport and for the UFC. And Michael Bisping's one of the most polarizing characters in the sport. You know he's going to sell pay per views. You know he's going to talk up a storm. I mean, after the press conference, so many more people were interested in that fight than they were before. And the closer it gets, people will forget about Rankins and Joel Romero, and they'll be they'll be excited for this fight. And then you know, once this fight's out of the way, you know if, if Bisping gets the win. I think he has to take on Yo Romero. I yeah, think poor Yoel. Uh, I think he, I think it would damage him as a champion if he turns the fight down again.
1: Yeah.
0: Um. I respect and understand his position with the um. Well, even with the Dan Henderson rematch, I get I get that because I was at, I was sat next to his dad when he got knocked out, and that was a real you know a real. he sent a real shockwave through uh, through through his family, and I think he would yeah. like to. Well, I knew he wanted to get that one back.
1: I think that was the moment in his career, which that—that's the moment that makes you or breaks you. That—that—that's the type of defeat which you know a lot of fighters in the history of fight sports will never ever come back from. I think that's te- that. The fact that he came back from that knockout loss um, is is testament to his character, really, and I think that's what's put him on the road, obviously, to becoming champion.
0: Yeah, one thing you can be you can be certain about with Michael Bisping is you, you're never going to be able to keep him down if you tell him you can't do something, he's going to, he's going to do everything in his power to prove you wrong. Um, and after that, I mean, because he talks so much trash going into the Henderson fight with the outcome, as it was, Bisping had to get that one back, yeah. you know, just for his own peace of mind. And then to be able to add another legend to his record, like GSP, it, it's a great opportunity for him. Um, I, I think he's worked his ass off for this sport and I think he's, he's promoted mixed martial arts in Europe pretty much, probably better than anybody else. And, and I, I think that, uh, you know, I, I think this, this fight could make his career. I mean, it certainly can uh, can help him into retirement if that's what he's ready for. Um, but yeah, I, I, I'm pretty sure that he's going to want Yael Rivera afterwards because Mike doesn't like to leave any doubt behind. And uh, And I think we all need to see that fight as well.
1: Hundred percent. Listen, Dan Hardy. Thank you so much for joining us this week on the Fight Disciples. We will be waiting. Well, I'll be all over you. Actually, you know, I'll be texting you nonstop now, asking about when you're going to start your fight camp and who it's going to be. That Gil Melendez. I heard your voice picked up when we mentioned Gil Melendez before, so we'll put that one on the put that one on the side. See if that's a potential future uh, future opponent for Dan Hardy for his big comeback. <laughs> Potentially end of this year, maybe early next year. We'll know. We'll know more in the coming weeks ahead. But again, Dan, thank you so much for your time. Once again. My favourite analyst in the sport, cracking job at UFC London. I watched the event back, you and John smashing out the park, as always. And I uh, look forward to catching up with you soon, buddy.
0: Thank you, mate. Always good talking to you. You're listening to the Fight Disciples podcast.
1: Thank you for listening to episode 86 of the Fight Disciples. We will be back next week. Adam will be back from sunning himself in Spain, I'm sure. So we'll both be in the studio to look ahead to what's coming next later in the month. From a personal point of view thanks again for joining us on social media Instagram Facebook Twitter please come and join the conversation Fight Disciples is the group it's the entity it's not me and Adam it's all of us we're all Fight Disciples we all love fight sports so please come and join the conversation and again UFC Stockholm's coming up baby any of our Swedish listeners we know Sweden is one of our top five uh, subscription countries, so we know the fans are out there. Anyone who's got a sofa for me or, or Adam to crash on around UFC Stockholm, give us a shout. We will do Fight Disciples live from your living room or local pub. In the meantime, have a great weekend, and we will both catch you next week. Thank you for listening. If you like what you heard, subscribe via iTunes.